Courage is not the absence of fear. Biblically, we understand that. Uh, Matthew 14, 27, we read a passage uh, that unless you've been there, you may not realize how significant it is. Christ has sent the disciples out onto the Sea of Tiberias. We know the Sea of Galilee. They are rowing across. He has gone up onto a mountain, most likely uh, Mount Arbel, and he is way up high praying, and of course he is seeing and he's knowing what happens. Uh, with a level of speed that boggles the mind, and in and of itself was almost miraculous, he transports himself from the top of the mountain down onto the water and begins walking to the disciples. And of course they are struck with terror, as the word tells us. And he looks at them and he says, take courage, I am, stop being afraid. Uh, we all, in dealing with life at this particular time, need to remember those. Take courage, I am, stop being afraid. Let me see a show of hands here. How many of you have been here at Grace Church for two years or less? Quite a few. How many of you who have been here for a while, it looks like we're working now, guys. Uh, how many of you here at Grace Church have ever wondered what it is that elders do? <laughs> I know that that guy is supposedly called an elder. I don't know what he does. I don't know much about him. I don't know who he is. Uh, in view of the reset that took place at Grace Church, and in view of the fact that over the last few years the responsibilities of elders have increased greatly at Grace Church, our perspective of what they are, what they do, we begin thinking that it would be advisable to have a session in which we went through what Scripture teaches as to the role of elders, their responsibilities, uh, elders are synonymous with pastors, synonymous with shepherds, synonymous with overseers. So we're going to quickly go through this. I teach on a monthly basis a class uh, for new members, people that are coming in here. I'm going to use uh, some material that uh, I first used a number of years ago when I was in high school. Uh, it is a slight modification of it. Some of you have children who may remember that first time that I did it, and you'll see uh, the carryover even now. But uh, we want to talk in terms of the role and responsibility of elders, if nothing more. If nothing more, so you can pray for us. We desperately need that prayer. The Word of God makes it very clear that none of us are adequate in and of ourselves, for the responsibility that God has given us. Let's open in prayer and then we'll move on. Father in heaven, even now we ask that above all else, your, feed, your sheep would be fed, your people edified. Father, I pray that you would use our time today to your glory. Father, I pray that even now there may be some men here who would be thinking in terms of serving as elders, uh, and this may encourage, 
or motivate them to move one way or the other in that particular direction. Father, above all else, we thank you for the privilege of serving as under-shepherds and serving as you build your church. May we never lose sight of the fact that it is your church. Amen. All right, we're going to go through some material. Uh, time permitting, as we move on, uh, we may end up with a brief period of questions and answers. I've already asked Tom to be able to join me for that. Let me make two questions, two comments with regards to that if we get there. First of all, we reject the right not to answer a question that is not really a question. You know, one of those that starts off with, I think that, isn't it true that, so forth and so on. The other thing, we will not be going into questions that address the condition or situation of any current serving or former elder out of an interest and desire to protect individual people. Okay, well, so let's get started. Two key texts at the outset, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Uh, I will read these first two, then uh, as we move on, I may encourage you to read from the screens in front of you as we go through this. Therefore, I exhort the elders, and the word used there is presbyteros, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd, case word there is poimano, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Base word there is episcopeo. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul meets with the Ephesian elders, uh, a group that proves to be something of a mixed bag in and among themselves, and he makes a passion plea and an exhortation in Acts 20, verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to shepherd, poimano, again, that same word, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Parenthetically, never look at this passage and forget that the New Testament overwhelmingly asserts the deity of Christ. He purchased the church of God with his own blood. Okay? And we've had to deal with that uh, on occasion in recent years. Shepherding the flock. Now, when I do this in new members, uh, and when I do it in high school, did it in high school, what you just saw entering uh, in an animated fashion read, Old Guys Rule. <laughs> uh, this is an extremely serious topic. Still, a certain amount of humor, just like the proverbial spoonful of sugar, does sometimes help the medicine go down. Sometimes it helps us to be able to absorb the truth a little more easily, and that is in fact the case here. The caption, Old Guy's Rule, uh, to some extent, is a summary. 
ruling authority within the church is placed in a group of godly older men. And flowing from that, it should be understood that it is not old gals rule. Uh, in some churches, the reality is that the women rule and the men preside. We try not to have that happen here. Uh, but the point is, God, His Word has indicated that ruling authority is in a group of godly older men. Now, this does not preclude tremendous ministry opportunities for women. Sometimes some of the best teachers here at Grace Church uh, are women, faithfully teaching young children, faithfully teaching other women, and sometimes, as we heard this morning, faithfully teaching their own husbands. Uh, those of us who have been blessed with godly wives, every one of us know that. And we also know that we are most motivated to do what we need to do as elders when our wife fully understands a particular problem and situation. So, yeah, it does not preclude the role of ministry for godly women. The book of Romans most likely was delivered by a deaconess. Uh, Romans 16.1, Paul says, Greet Phoebe, who most likely delivered the book of Romans to that particular church. In some ways, however, this is only a beginning, only a start. Not all old guys are going to be ruling within the church. It is only men of proven character, to some extent ability, and proven godliness who will have that responsibility of holding what is an official position within the church. Okay? We're getting started. Who are these old guys? Who are these shepherds that serve within the church? What kind of character is required for the position? And note that it is fundamentally a matter of character. To some extent, there has to be ability. The requirements that we read in Scripture, the identification of the position, makes that very clear. However, it is not a matter of having a particular educational degree. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have gone to a particular undergraduate college or to a particular seminary uh, to serve as an elder. Many godly elders have never had the privilege of going to either type of institution on a formal level. That does not mean they haven't had to learn what they would have otherwise received. It is ultimately, it's a matter of character. It is not a matter of accomplishments. Accomplishments, First uh, John tells us, are a source of potential temptation. We are not to love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. We have to be careful in that. But they are a matter of character. We see two key texts, First Timothy 3, 2 through 7. I'm going to quickly talk through some of these texts. An elder, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. I am not minimizing the importance of any of these provisions 
when I move on to the next slide, I'm just trying to use our time to the absolute max. Read them carefully. Feel free to uh, turn to these texts in your own Bible. Uh, if you'd like, feel free to take a, a screenshot uh, with your cell phone and go back and review this if you have any questions or challenges later on. Moving on, Titus 1, 5 through 9. Paul writes to Titus, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if men, any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, pugnacious, or fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. If you go on and look later on in that text, you'll see Paul pointing out to Titus that there are many who have literally destroyed whole families by teaching the false doctrine. We have seen that uh, in some ways more than we realize. Key concept, the shepherd, the elder, the pastor, the overseer must be above reproach. It is mentioned three times in these two passages. The elder must be above reproach. In what sense? What does that mean? What is that talking about? Uh, Weist's expanded uh, word studies of the uh, Greek New Testament uh, points out that there are two different words here. Titus 1, 6 refers to, it uses the term anikletos. And it points out that the elder must be above reproach. He's above reproach, he must be above reproach as a steward. He is a fiduciary in charge of God's people, God's progeny, new converts, his proclamation. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1 refers to it as the mysteries of God. He is a fiduciary over God's property. And finally, and most significantly, he is charged with the responsibility of being a fiduciary, a trustee over God's prestige. People, proclamation, progeny, prestige, and property. Uh, we could, of course, spend a long time doing that as a whole separate uh, sermon, but that's uh, beyond the scope for right now. Uh, one thing that needs to be very clear is this is not a matter of perception. I'm going to ask a question that could get me in a certain amount of trouble. Do I have any Downton Abbey fans here? <laughs> be honest. Okay. All right. Uh, Todd Dre, right? Yes. Todd's father, Rick, was one of the founders of Grace to You. 
Uh, Todd, you know who uh, Countess Violet is? Yes. <laughs> you want to flesh that out? Right. She is the dowager empress of this family of British nobility. Why is that significant? At one point during one of the earlier episodes, she makes a great line. Uh, and the actress playing the role is Maggie Smith, so you can put this in her great British accent. The truth is neither here nor there. It's the look of the thing that matters. Great TV, great comedy, terrible theology. <laughs> if an individual is above reproach, it's not a matter of perception. It is a matter of objective truth. As a former judge, I love the uh, uh, translation that uh, Weiss gives to the term used in 1 Timothy 3.2 and Epilimbano, it is one against whom it is impossible to bring any charge of wrongdoing such as could withstand impartial examination. Put another way, is there enough evidence there that would warrant the individual being called to stand trial? It is a matter of hard, objective evidence as to whether an individual is not above reproach. That same requirement also imposes a great deal of need to be careful before we recognize as an individual, an individual as a potential elder. Does this mean that an elder does not sin? Absolutely not. Yeah, the scripture makes very clear that all men struggle with the problem of sin. All regenerate, born-again believers need to be consistently dealing with that in their own lives. Now, truth be told, there are some sins that will disqualify an individual from serving as an elder. Adultery and some others that uh, uh, we can talk about more at another time. But... Uh, every elder will need to be dealing with the issue of sin in his own life. John Calvin makes the quote, he says, It would be better for the preacher to fall and break his neck on the way into the pulpit than to not be the first to follow God. I uh, sometimes breathe a sigh of relief when I'm able to reach the lectern or pulpit <laughs> with a neck that's intact. <laughs> the elder must set an example of avoiding sin, of resisting the temptation to sin, and of dealing promptly with sin when it appears in his life. Failure to set that example is a major problem within the church. So the elder must be above reproach now, when can a man serve as an elder? When his life is above reproach. We've just been talking about that. When he is no longer a new believer. Putting in a new believer into the role of an elder is not a service to him. The scripture makes very clear that in a sense he is subject to satanic temptation. 
very quickly. Uh, it induces a certain amount of pride. In addition to that, he will not be able to provide a certain amount of the required accomplishments or tasks that another is supposed to implement in his own life. But his family, his household is in order. Does that mean the household is always going to be order, in order? Uh, there are times that you walk into the home of every elder who's in the process of doing a move uh, or who is in the process of doing a home remodel or interior house painting, and you're going to find a certain amount of chaos. But even in that kind of a situation, there should be a certain sense of overriding order, overriding common sense, helping to pull out of the chaos as quickly as possible. Now the next thing that you have above you, or you see, uh, and I would be less than candid if I didn't tell you there was a certain amount of controversy in regards to this. The NASB says, when his children believe. The NASB, the ESV, and I believe also the Douay Bible, interestingly enough, uh, both make the comment that the children believe. The LSB, the King James Version, and the New King James Version list the literal quote, literally the term there is, they are faithful, whose children are faithful, what faithful children. Faithful to what? Faithful to what? Uh, to the parents. Dr. MacArthur, in the commentary that uh, he has done on this particular passage, uh, the if you have the MacArthur Study Bible, uh, you look to the notes on this particular passage, that's Titus 1. Uh, it says they are faithful to the doctrines their parents taught, put another way, they believe. Uh, again, there is a certain amount of uh, rethinking that may be going on in this, and I would, as I say, be less than candid if I did not point that out to you. Uh, I'm inclined to favor the perspective shared by Dr. MacArthur. Nonetheless, uh, I do not want this to be divisive ever within the church. Okay? Uh, sometimes, and this is not a punishment, but sometimes men will step down off of the Board of Elders, hopefully temporarily, uh, and spend some time working with their children, praying with their children, praying for their children when the children are not acting in a manner consistent with the father serving as an elder. This is not a punishment. It is, in fact, and it should be understood as being freed up to spend time focusing on family problems, focusing on the spiritual needs of those children. Uh, I will not mention, but some of our most loved elders have done this uh, at particular times. When he is otherwise qualified, again, we look closely at all of the qualifications that are spelled out, both in those two passages and elsewhere within the scripture. Now, why is this important? We are called to know the elders. We are called to submit to the elders. And we are called to recognize or appoint elders. 
How many of you, let me see a show of hands, have ever attended a public portion of an elders meeting here at Grace Church? Okay, there needs to be more. At least once in your time here at Grace Church. And I would rather see once a year take the time to come in for the public portion of the elders meeting. We're having one this Thursday evening. It starts at 7 o'clock. We would love to find that we need to relocate it to a position or to a room that has more room for people who are there. We want to know our people, and the people need to know the elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13 says we need to know who the elders are so that we can appreciate them, we can regard them. We're called to submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17. This is very difficult, uh, and we'll spend a little more time in this passage. This is very difficult for those in the democratically oriented North American church. We struggle with that. We're called to recognize or appoint elders. Make very clear, let me make it very clear, be clear in your own mind, your own understanding, we never make an individual an elder. I would not be so naive as to say that people who shouldn't be elders try to be elders for whatever reason. We do not make people elders. We mentor people who might be good candidates. We help bring them. We help train them, help them understand what it is that if God ordains they are getting into. We do not make people elders. The word that is used in Titus 1.5 is a word that is used elsewhere in Scripture in terms of recognizing qualities, recognizing faithfulness, and based on that recognition, we recognize the individual to serve in that particular position. Biblically, and here at Grace Community Church, elders are not to be invited on to the Board of Elders. It's not uh, a popularity contest, and sometimes some of our seminarians come from churches where this is in fact Uh, where that is in fact the case, and they struggle with understanding how to interact with lay elders here. Uh, It is not an election. It is not an elected position. Elders here at Grace Community Church can be recommended by people from within the congregation. Uh, Our bylaws allow for people in the congregation to nominate. If you know someone who you think would be a great elder, feel free to nominate the person. It will be carefully reviewed and evaluated by the elders. And we will move forward after screening uh, to recognize that individual as such if that is where the Spirit of God has led. The shepherd, the elder, prior to serving in that capacity, will undergo substantial testing There will be close scrutiny of his life, his family, his reputations, and his relationships. That is a process that can take, in some cases, months and be very painful to go through that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great quote. He says, God rarely uses a man significantly without first wounding him severely. Uh, It applies in this case. For several years now, all of our elders, all of our elders, both vocational 
the guys that uh, are good for something as opposed to the guys that are good for nothing. Uh, those of us that are lay elders all go through the same testing. They go through a scrutiny of life. Then they will sit down and they will have an extensive question time. They are grilled on biblical knowledge. I've sat in on a number of these. Uh, they are examined on their knowledge of church history. They are examined on their ability to apply biblical principles in practical theology. This will take three hours. Uh, we try to test to approve. That does not always happen. Hopefully uh, it will in all of the people that get that far and go forward. Uh, you would like to think that any problems would have surfaced before we get to that point. Uh, it is not intended to be a time of biblical trivial pursuit. It is not a time of testing on what would otherwise be referred to as minutia. It is a time where we are looking to whether there is the functional capability. By way of analogy, uh, you probably can have a very long, successful career as a driver with a California driver's license and not be able to explain the minutia of either an electric automobile engine or an internal combustion gasoline engine. Okay? We're not going to ask you comparable questions that would go to that level. We are going to be focusing on are you going to be able to meet the responsibilities of serving as an elder? One passage, and we at Grace Church over the years have struggled with this. Uh, I will not go into detail, but we've struggled in this area uh, at times more than I would like to say. I've seen this even more so in other churches twice within the last month and a half. Uh, I have talked with pastors who are looking to have another man come on to their church as an elder, and you have to say, don't be desperate. Don't lay hands on a man too quickly. First uh, Timothy 5, 22, and then 24 through 25, the point is extremely well-pressed, intensely argued that you need to allow time for a man's character to be manifest. Once an individual is approved, uh, he is ordained. All elders here at Grace Church, uh, as of the present point, and going back to at least four years, are considered to have been ordained. Okay? This is in keeping with Dr. MacArthur's uh, lesson that he teaches in the master's plan for the church. There is not one type of ordination for those uh, who are going to be in professional ministry and one type for the others. There is one type of ordination. The shepherd, once he has been approved, he has an ongoing task in his life. And this is before you even get to the topic of what do they do. Uh, the shepherd must look to his life first and to his teaching or doctrine second. 
We have seen individuals come out of here who are prepared to teach. They want to train men. Well, the problem is they neglected to discipline themselves or to take a close scrutiny of their lives. Uh, not a sad thing to realize after you've finished a career in seminary. But unfortunately, it does happen. He has to look to his life first and to his teaching or doctrine. I've added in there something that I think is extremely important and is often overlooked. The elder must honor the holiness of God. Leviticus 10.3, uh, after Nadab and Abihu had been stricken uh, and executed by Almighty God because they failed to do this, God tells Moses, by those who come before me, by those who appear before me in any kind of a position of leadership, teaching, or authority, I will be honored. I will be regarded as holy. The failure to regard the holiness of God, uh, Dr. Sproul has pointed out, and I think Dr. MacArthur has also concurred, is one of the biggest problems in the contemporary church. He is consigned to an ongoing, continuing study of the Word and of related material, including church history. It will not stop. Uh, by way of example, Augustine, in his classic on Christian doctrine, he refers to the pastoral epistles, and he makes the comment, these three apostolic epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, ought to be constantly before the eyes of everyone who has obtained the position of a teacher in the church. 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15, Paul tells Timothy, you must continue. It is not an option. It is not if you feel good. You must continue in your study of the Word of God. Why? For the edification of the church, for his own edification, and one thing that always has to be kept in mind. Those who hold this position are placed in a position of receiving a stricter judgment. James 3.1, let not many become teachers, and the elder must be able to teach, for if they do, they will incur a stricter judgment. Don't think that anyone is being treated unfairly or being treated inappropriately if they are not allowed to be serving as an elder. I know of at least one individual uh, who wanted very much to be recognized as an elder here at Grace Church, never was. His life would not have measured up to the scrutiny that comes with that particular privilege. What do the elders do? Three key words, elder, overseer, and shepherd. Elder, the word is presbyteros, provide wisdom that comes from age. Overseer, episkopos, is to watch for threats to the church from within and threats from outside the church is to sound the appropriate warning. By the way, the analogy here is not to the overseer in uh, Uncle Tom's cabin, those of you that are literary, uh, Simon Legree. It is, in fact, to the modern security guard. Security guard must be aware of what's going on. He must be alert and attentive. Sometimes an individual is doing more eldering when he's not saying anything but just being present. 
and he must sound the appropriate warning, the appropriate warning to threats that come from within the church or to threats that come from outside the church. He is to shepherd. This is the word from where we get the term pastor. He is to feed by teaching. There's that passage that Bruce cited earlier, John 21, 15 through 17, feed my sheep. He is to protect the sheep. He is to help mend and heal the sheep. We sometimes have people coming to Grace Church uh, from churches where there has been a leadership implosion. Scars have been inflicted upon the people. We do whatever we can to try to help bring healing in that regard. I think some of you, I can look around here, I know have come from the churches where that has happened. The elder is to provide an example as part of his shepherding, and he is to be able to refute false teachers. Often overlooked is the fact that the elders are to pray for the people here at this church. Every Sunday morning, the elders gather for prayer before the first worship service. They also meet uh, Sunday evening. Uh, we pray when we meet for elders' meetings. Prayer for the saints, James 5.14 points out that that is an absolute responsibility. Acts chapter 6, the elders have primarily the ministry of prayer and the word. The shepherd's ongoing cautions. Now there are some cautions for the individual. There are some cautions for the church. He has to be aware of serving under compulsion. He has to be aware of serving only for sordid gain. He has to be careful of domineering leadership. This is the way it's going to be because I say so, and uh, if you don't like it, you can hit the road. That doesn't work within the church. He has to provide an example. He has to be careful of serving without being an example, letting his life get out of control. He has to be careful of failing to keep watch. He also has to be careful to avoid not giving a warning when a warning needs to be given. Now, it's a deliberate double negative. You get the point. If he knows there's a problem, he has to give a response. He has to give an oral warning. Scripture indicates, uh, Acts, excuse me, uh, Ezekiel chapters 3 and 33, if a watchman sees a threat and does not give a warning and people are killed, their blood is on his responsibility. Now, some of the cautions are for the church. The self-centered shepherd. The church always has to be careful of self-centered shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 1-10 tells us about shepherds who do not care for the sheep, who feed only themselves. Titus 1-7, the self-willed shepherd. The term used there is autodes. It has to be my way. And again, we have seen in recent years this be a problem sometimes on the mission field where a man gets out on the field uh, and he wants to be the one who says this is how it's going to be and he is not willing to work as part of a team. That kind of attitude, that kind of approach will disqualify an individual from serving as an elder. The slanderous shepherd. 
The slanderous shepherd ultimately will be found to be motivated by pride. He will ultimately be found to be adding to, according to James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 and 4 and 11. He'll be adding to the law of God. Psalms 15, 3, Psalms 101, verses 4 and 5. The slanderous shepherd cannot provide the leadership within the church. Finally, 3 John chapter, uh, actually 3 John, verses 9 through 10. The self-centered shepherd identified there as a man by the name of Diotrephes. Diotrephes loves the preeminence. He loves the position. Disregards pastoral biblical authority. Abuses people by subverting the process of discipline within the church. The hireling. This is in John chapter 10. The hireling does not love the sheep. His motivation is just money. He does not provide protection for the sheep. And finally, the danger of the apostate shepherd. Over the last 130 years, uh, there have been significant numbers of apostate shepherds uh, within the church here in North America. Uh, this is predicted. Jude 4 refers to them as hidden reefs, shepherds feeding themselves. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 just indicates they deny the one who bought him, bought them. Uh, and it goes on to indicate that they make merchandise, literally abuse and make merchandise of the people of God. They're stock and trade. The church always has to be watching that. Hebrews 13, 17. We're moving towards the end, folks, so bear with me for a few more minutes. A passage that we struggle with. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The word that's translated grief actually refers to, it's one of those words that the sound indicates what it's about. It's a groan. Let them do this without groaning. There are a few names that if I mention them in a group of elders, the involuntary response of other elders is a groan. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. The shepherd, based on Hebrews 13, 17, will experience four particular things. Loss of sleep. The word that is used there for keeping watch, uh, the term in the Greek is agropneo, and it implies staying up late at night, watching sheep, and doing anything but sleeping. Uh, I suspect anyone who is in here who's had the privilege of serving as an elder or a pastor uh, will know what I'm talking about here. You find yourselves losing sleep at night. On occasion, you end up having to talk with someone who calls, and they want to call at 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, talking about a problem, and you really can't tell them to, you know, let's wait till morning. Uh, more often than not, however, it is your mind going to a dispute that is occurring between people in your church. Or it is going to a text that you're going to be preaching on tomorrow morning. Uh, I mentioned this at an installation service a few weeks back. 
And one of our most respected seminary grads looks at me, we were talking later, and he says, it's good to know it's not just me. Yeah, it's not just you. They will experience a loss of sleep thinking through the content of the lesson they plan to teach, praying that God would use it in the lives of his people. Grief, sorrow. The grief and sorrow that comes from an individual who's apostatized, who's proven that they were not really a genuine believer. This happened in Paul's ministry. It happened in the ministry of our Lord. We would be naive if we do not realize that it will happen in our life. And yes, it will cause a great deal of grief. It will cause a certain amount of sorrow. Future accountability. The text says they will give an account. Amos 3.12 talks about, it's a very obscure passage, but it talks about a man who is a shepherd. It's an illustration of what God is doing with his people at that time. He says, as the shepherd reaches into the mouth of a lion and pulls out a bone, in the same way God was going to preserve some of his remnant. What's this about? The shepherd had the responsibility under Mosaic law if he said that an animal came and devoured the sheep, he had to produce a portion of the carcass. Yes, there is a certain amount of accountability that will have to happen. The shepherds, the elders, the pastors here at Grace Church work diligently, uh, and it's in a manner that has expanded its scope from just being within the church, uh, the ministry here at Grace Church. Tom can confirm this. Uh, we work providing assistance and oversight both in other churches here in uh, the United States and Canada. We also uh, spend a great deal of time encouraging, uh, ministering to believers, missionaries at various and sundry points of the world. Uh, a week from today, I'm getting on a plane along with uh, three of our other, two of our other elders, uh, and we are moving. We will be. Uh, landing in Polokwane, South Africa, for a time of encouragement for our missionaries there. Joy. Nothing causes greater joy than to see a life that was headed for total destruction made right, productive, beautiful by the gospel. We believe the gospel because we have seen it work in the lives of individuals. Some of us can look at our own families and see that tremendous change that has occurred. And yes, as Bruce mentioned earlier and as I pointed out, we look forward to the day when we hear the word, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Peter phrases it, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I would like to have taken the time to take some questions. I'm going to pass on that. However, in view of the fact that it is 10.35, we need to adjourn. Uh, let's prepare our hearts and minds to take the Lord's Supper. Close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you build your church. We thank you for the fact that you have given clear indication as to what that is to look like.
as to how we are to conduct ourselves. Lord, for those of us who have the privilege or have had the privilege or who will have the privilege of serving in that capacity, we pray that you will provide strength, wisdom, and courage. Father, I pray for Bruce and Amy that, that you will allow their remaining time here to be valuable for their return to Ukraine. Father, guide us all as we move on. Father, I thank you for each of the fathers here today. We pray that their fathering would bring glory to you. Guide us in all we do, Lord. We commit this time to you, and we thank you for what you've done and will do. Amen.